You are listening to Pada Bang, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos through deep dives, conversation, streams of consciousness, and NBA analogies. Today, we are discussing episode five of season five, A Regular Around the Margins. And I'm joined once again by my friend, Justin Sales from TheRinger.com. Justin, thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to do this. It's a nice uh, break from everything going on. Tell me about it. First off, how have you been adjusting to this wild and brave new world we're in? I'm kind of surprised at how quickly this is becoming the new normal. So at The Ringer, we shut down our office. Um, so we're recording this on the 21st of March. Mm-hmm. Um we shut down, not this past Tuesday, the Tuesday before that. So we were pretty early on to closing everything down. And then, of course, like two days later, the NBA postponed their season. So you shut down before the NBA? Yes. And you guys inspired it. Yeah, that must have been it. They must have heard, well, if the ringer's not going to be covering us um, in person, I guess we have to shut down. What is the point? But um, I'm kind of surprised at how quickly this is becoming the new normal. Um, it's kind of a little scary in that regard. I'm not used to having to wait outside in a line in the grocery store. Um, that is still wild to me, even if I ride my bike by a, cause I've been doing a lot of bike riding to try to get out of the house. But, um, if I ride my bike by a grocery store, grocery store, it's like, I feel like I'm, I see the videos, um, of, we read about bread lines in history books. That's what I'm saying. I was I, immediately when I saw that, I think like, this is like the end of the Soviet empire. This is like what they were, the, all the pictures they showed me when I was growing up about why communism doesn't work. And it's like, well, maybe this is why capitalism, doesn't work. I don't know. Maybe well, it's, it's crazy just, how it's yeah. come full circle. Yeah. What's been the most challenging thing for you? Um, Reminding myself to, um, you know, so I've been working from home this entire time. Um, thankfully, thankful. I'm very thankful that I have the opportunity to work. A lot of people don't. And I, I, a lot of my friends in the hospitality industry are really hard up right now. And I feel guilty even talking to them because I get to do my job, which just I just don't go into an office. You know, we have Zoom, we... I work from home occasionally in the best of times, right? It's just now I'm stuck doing this. Um, at first, I think from like a mental health perspective, it was a little tough, right? Like trying to wrap your brain around this at the same time that you're also forced to stay inside. Mm. Um, and everyone you speak to is also nervous about it. So it's like not like you can call anyone for support. The best you can do is just call people and commiserate and just say, oh, my God, what is happening? Or just check in. Yeah, just, I'm, it's, I've been checking in with a lot of people for no other reason than I just I'm used to interacting with other humans and I can't. I've had more phone calls this month than I think I've had in the past three years. Phone calls, texts, uh, FaceTimes. A lot of FaceTimes, a lot of FaceTimes. I think that's, is it safe or fair to say that that's actually like a positive that's come out of this is a, there's more of a positive interconnectedness than there ever was before or like a less of a taking for granted of the people that are in your phone and that are in your inbox? You know, is it, we're both old enough to remember the days after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this, there was this thing where you just instantly uh, reached out to like everybody that you knew and things like, like things of that nature, right? You just... There was a lot of 
I don't I don't know what your experience was at that time, but there was like I definitely remember like keeping in closer contact with the people that I was close with in that time. And there's a certain element to this um that's reminiscent of that. Of course, this is a horrific event on a different scale, and this will also alter um the next twenty, thirty years of American history and For world sure. history. Um it's crazy to think of it like that, but with nine eleven, it was like a like a, a an event that just then everything kind of branched out from. This is something that we're living through, and will continue to live through for months. And I mean, hopefully, it's just months. Hopefully, in nine eleven, the interesting contrast is that you could see nine eleven. You can't see this, and I think that's what's freaking everybody out. Like. The fact that you cannot have any symptoms and you can be walking around feeling completely fine. Right. But you walk by somebody on a trail and your breath can transmit this thing that could potentially put them in the ICU. Right. It's unbelievable that something that's like infinitesimally small is to be able to wreak so much havoc. And apparently we're just now learning all the information that we've had from the public health experts and the medical experts dating back years ago. Bill Gates apparently said something warning us about a global pandemic Mm -hmm. in terms of like looking at it statistically. And we just were like woefully underprepared. I think had it not been for Italy and China, things could be a lot worse though. I think we actually were able to piggyback off of their misfortune. I think Italy, yeah. I think that we were it, I mean, I'm not an expert on this. It's just so just from my... I don't think anybody is, by the way. I, obviously, by the way this is going across the world, there aren't many experts. But it would seem to me that we jumped on shutting things down and quarantining and self-isolation. Especially California. Before Italy did. Yeah. Um, I think California was early to this. I speak to friends, because I'm originally from Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah. Um, it seemed to be a little slow going out there. I still speak to some friends that are like going into their jobs that they really don't need to. And I just can't wrap my brain around that. Mm. Um, I know it's tough for businesses right now. I know that it's hard if you, if you own a, just for an example, for a friend that I know that won't be listening. He manages a, um, I guess a warehouse where they do a lot of, they do, they print um, t-shirts and ship them out. I don't know. It's a t-shirt warehouse for a lack of a better phrasing, but he's still going to work right now. And I'm like, how much work do you even have left at this point? Yeah. He's like about a week's worth. And I'm like, what difference is a week's worth of money coming in going to make? Like, why, why are you still doing this? Well, I think it's frightening for a lot of people, right? Working is also a way to control. That's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like, if you have any, Idle hands, right? There's that expression. I think that's part of it for a lot of people. And I think like, again, like I try to put it in perspective and I, I said earlier that I'm fortunate to be able to continue working. And even a comment I just made like right now about that, it's like, I'm able to work. He won't be able to work if he has to stay home. So like, I have to understand that. It's just, it's difficult. But we also have to understand globally that we need to flatten this curve. Right. So hopefully it happens. We'll obviously probably talk about this virus more throughout the pod. Let's try to get away from the morbid shit as much as possible and right. live in the world of uh, Soprano land. Yeah. But before we get into Soprano stuff, you've been covering 
NFL free agency closely. That managed to happen in the midst of all this. What are a couple, three main storylines that have captivated you so far? So my my day job, besides uh, my night job, I guess, is now just rewatching The Sopranos and um, being here. Uh, But my day job is I'm a... NFL editor at The Ringer, and uh, I also write features and cover the sport as needed. Um, I was shocked that the NFL um, didn't postpone free agency, but then I was like, you know what? If there's any organization in the world that will think it's bigger than a pandemic, it's the NFL. Mm. Um, With that said, it was kind of nice that this was there for a couple of days too, that there was some news in the world that wasn't just everything getting canceled or, you know, the number of diagnosed cases continuing to climb. Like it was nice to have a break. And there was huge news this week. Um, first and foremost, Tom Brady's a fucking Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Insane. I, so I called this in December in the office as a joke. I was looking at like the teams that he could potentially go to, right? And you look at the Chargers and I'm like, yeah, the Chargers, well, they have a, they have a shitty offensive line and like, do you really want to go play in the Chargers? I don't know. Um, as the playoffs rolled around, you realized Ryan Tannehill's a free agent. The Titans start to make a little bit of sense. He has a connection with Mike Vrabel from their playing days. It's, they're it's, friends. It's good. They're, they're friends. It's a good team. It makes sense. But, the Titans are set up for the next few years. Um, they can get Ryan Tannehill cheaper. So you, I start thinking, and I, I first said in December as a joke that like he should go to the Buccaneers, partially because I thought it made a lot of sense, but also because I think the weirdest possible jersey you can put Tom Brady in is a Tampa Bay Bucks. Mm. I said to my girlfriend, Tom Brady's going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And she said, is that a football team? Yeah. It's like the most like... You know, my wife said, I I mentioned the Buccaneers, and she said, is John Gruden the coach? (laughs) Wow, at least there's that, right? And I said, said, no, it was like 20 years ago. She's like, well, that's what I know about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. But, like, it it makes so much sense, and that's why I said it at the time. Why does it make sense? um, It will be instantly, and I I got into a few arguments this week with people in in the virtual office um, about whether this was the best receiving duo that Tom Brady's ever going to play with. And I don't... are you going to argue with me? Because if not, I'm just going to go. <laughs> I'm just going to say this untested. But yeah, I don't, I don't think. I, given what he's had in the past, yeah, I think the only thing that could be comparable is Randy Moss and Wes Welker and Wes Welker. But Wes Welker's not as good as Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans might not be as good as Randy Moss. Numbers support all this, obviously. You know more than I do, right? Um, Mike Evans is great. Okay. Um, Mike Evans can do a lot of things. He's a, he's a big receiver. He can do a lot of things that Randy Moss. He's can, a red zone receiver, right? He he can be. Um, but he these guys also can get downfield, and he's very much like Randy Moss in the sense that you throw it up and he can get it. But he doesn't have that speed. He doesn't have the same speed, but he has size. Okay. And I think speed is more important than size for a receiver. But Mike Evans is a very, very, very good receiver. Um, and Chris Godwin is also a very good receiver. And are either of them? equivalent or approximations of Gronkowski? So they have a young athletic tight end in O.J. Howard who they took in the first round in, I believe, 2017. Um, O.J. Howard has not broken it out. I think he had something like 34 catchers last year, Um, but he was drafted in the first round. Everyone expected big things out of 
um, O.J. Howard. It could happen now, just given that we've seen Brady work so well with an athletic tight end. Um, it could happen now. I think that also there's no great pass-catching back option in Tampa Bay. That's one knock against it. Um, Brady has traditionally performed well with the likes of, you know, going through the years. It's like Kevin Falk and then even Danny fucking Woodhead and then Shane Vereen and James White. He's always... He's always been at his best when he's had a very competent pass catching back mm-hmm. there. Um, Does he have that here? He doesn't. They have um, on their roster last year. They had Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones. Um, I'm not sure. I haven't looked to see whether Peyton Barber is back this year. I know Ronald Jones is, and I know the Bucks expected big things out of Ronald Jones, and it just hasn't really come to pass. Um, maybe things are different with Tom Brady. The thing is. The Jameis Winston was the quarterback on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year. He led the league in passing yards. The it's it's actually funny. He had over five thousand passing yards. The only quarterbacks that have ever had more passing yards in a season than him, I believe, are Brady, Drew Brees, uh, Peyton Manning, um, Ben Roethlisberger, and I think Patrick Mahomes, if I'm not mistaken. So it's like, and maybe Aaron Rodgers. I'm not sure, but it's like this incredible list of quarterbacks ahead of him. Those guys were all on winning teams and great offenses. Um, the Bucks could have been a great offense, except Jameis Winston can't stop turning the damn ball over. Um, he had 30 interceptions last year. That is so hard to do. That is so hard. He that is led, a lot of interceptions. That's a lot of interceptions yeah. in 2019. That's multiple interceptions per game. Yes. And... It was actually, it was like the experience of watching Jameis Winston last year was wild. Um, it was a roller coaster. It was a train wreck. It was everything wrapped up into one because he would, one play he could throw for an 80-yard touchdown. The next play, throw pick six. It's just like, it's absolutely unbelievable. And it's actually really funny. He got LASIK eye surgery over the offseason. So they attribute it to that? You have to think that, so Bruce Arians is the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He did really well in Arizona with the last couple of years of Carson Palmer's career. Tom Brady's obviously a better quarterback than Carson Carson Palmer. Yeah. Um, the one question mark that the Buccaneers have with Tom Brady is, I believe, so they threw the ball further downfield than any team last year outside of maybe the Lions. I know that Matthew Stafford had some, he he averaged a little bit more yards in the air. I'm getting two in the weeds. They throw the ball down the field a lot, and Mm -hmm. that's really great with those two great receivers they have, Evans and Godwin. Tom Brady was kind of towards the bottom of the league in terms of how much he threw. The Patriots system was a little bit different. It's like I was saying, thrown to the pass-catching backs, um, a lot of quick slants, a lot of very precise routes, a lot of underneath stuff to Edelman. Um, it was a very different offense. Josh McDaniels runs a very different system than Bruce Arians runs. Is Arians going to adjust to Tom or is Tom going to adjust to Arians? I don't know, and that remains to be seen. Um a lot of Patriots fans, anybody, I'm, I grew up a Patriots fan. Um, I was there for the bad years. I'm old enough to have been there for the bad years and through all the glory years. Are you upset? I'm a little sad. It sunk in yesterday, actually, like, wow, like Tom Brady is not going to be on the New England Patriots next year. Was it a one or the other thing? Like, if Belichick left, would he have stayed? Like, were they? was it like a Phil Jackson, Kobe Bryant dynamic? They didn't. 
I think Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, decided that he was going to cede control of the situation to Belichick because Belichick was going to be around longer. He is planning to be around longer. I he, Yes, he's planning. How I, many years? We're talking like five, six years? I don't know what his contract is. Nobody knows. Um, oh, his contract is not public knowledge? Coach, coaching contracts typically aren't. You mm-hmm. hear about some sometimes because like, I mean, the, the most famous one that I think most NFL fans know is John Gruden mm-hmm. has a, in 2000. million dollar deal with the Raiders, which is absolutely insane. But you'd have to assume Belichick makes more on an average annual basis. Um, I don't know of the length of the contract, though. But, you know, I think there's always been this thing about whether they want to... Um, w- Brady and Belichick have had all this success together. Do they want to prove that they can do it without each other? And I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think there's part of that, part of like Brady especially, that would feel great about being able to have success outside of that. I think either way, you'd feel great about it, but I think they kind of just grew sick of each other. And Prediction. Who wins a ring first, assuming that they are both around long enough? Who gets one more ring than the other? I don't think either one wins a championship anytime soon, but um, now if you want to ask me who I, who I think has a better season in 2020, Tom. He's got the weapons. And he's very motivated, and the Patriots quarterback situation is going to be... We can actually use that to kind of sig into, I guess, another big news story. How much more NFL do we we want to do here? So so you got Tom Brady. What are the the other two just trailing, like, 30 seconds? What else else happened in free agency? The Texans traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Arizona Cardinals for David Johnson, who is the most overpaid, broken-down broken, broken down running back in the league. If they just waited a couple days, they could have had Todd Gurley, who was cut from the Rams, which is going to lead me into my number three, uh, which is a sneaky one. But um, Bill O'Brien is the coach and general manager of the Houston Texans, and he is absolutely a disaster. Last year, I traded two first-rounders for a— uh, for um, Laramie Tunsil, who was from uh, left tackle from the Dolphins, which he's good, and they needed offensive line help. So basically, he's left Deshaun Watson with nothing. Deshaun Watson has, I mean, and yeah. what's the move? What's the ivory tower rationale? No idea. No idea. The problem is he's they, they don't have a general. Last offseason, they they fired the general manager, and now he's made all these crazy moves. Also. He's not a great coach. I know they've won the AFC uh, South for the past few years, but they get bounced from the playoffs in embarrassing fashion every year. Yeah. They were up 28 points on the Chiefs, I believe. It was either 20, no, it was 24 nothing. I'm sorry. And they ended up losing that game. That, they didn't even hold that lead through halftime. Like, in the, in the, that was the divisional round this past January. It was absolutely insane. We talked about this off mic before we jump into the episode. Uh, when do you think we'll see football on TV? I wouldn't be shocked if the if everything gets pushed back. Um, like December? Jeez. I wouldn't be shocked if they do like a 12-game season starting in mid-October. I mean, that, wouldn't, that really wouldn't shock me. The irony is like— So, so condensed season. Condensed yeah. season. So this year, I was going to lead into another thing, which is I'm going to say the Rams are falling apart. But I guess the actual biggest news, which I'm just totally blanked on, which is actually the most important thing. The NFL has a new collective bargaining agreement. That was signed uh, last. Sa- that was approved by the players last Saturday. It was ratified by the owners a few weeks before that. It's going to fundamentally change the way the league operates. It gives more revenue to the players. Um, 
The owners, of course, now with this in place can generate a lot more revenue for themselves. That's why they push this through. This isn't altruistic on their part. It's They offer the players a slightly bigger slice of the pie because there's going to be a much bigger pie now. Um, Just like the NBA. Yep. The Starting next season, there's going to be an extra playoff team in each um in each conference. So there's going to be seven playoff teams versus the six that we've been used to since 1990. Um, and only one team is going to get a buy in each conference. It's going to fundamentally change the playoffs. Starting in 2021, the league has the option to do a 17th game in the regular season. And if you think about they're probably going to lose revenue this year, I don't see any way they don't do it. Right. Um, I think that's actually the biggest change. You know, beyond uh, Tom Brady's like the, the biggest. The the, Tom Brady's the biggest superficial change. But the the structure of football is going to look a little bit different, and it might take a few years to adjust to. Um, if the season, if the start date of the season, if, if kickoff gets postponed um, a few months, month and a half, whatever, I at this point, I really don't see how they get training camp going and everything that they need to. There's a precedence for this in 2011, 2000. 11 or 12, Jesus, whenever they signed the, the last CBA. I think it was 2012. Mm. Yeah, I think it was 2012 because that was a Peyton Manning year. So they had to do a shortened um, off-season plan with off, it was shortened training camps and everything. And it took a lot for teams to get up to speed. If the other leagues don't come back sooner, it's hard to imagine the NFL getting everything they need to in place for the season to start. I mean, the schedule hasn't been announced yet. They could very easily adjust it. Yeah. Um, they also don't want to overlap with other leagues, and they, every league is probably good jockeying for their little window. Well, of, again, if, if the NFL doesn't think that a pandemic can— Right. Well, that I don't think the NFL the is worried about scared. the World Series. Yeah, the other leagues are scared because— if the NFL's on, they have to compete against that. So, yeah. wild times. There's no beautiful segue here other than to say Tony Siragusa from the champion-willing Baltimore Ravens was yes, in this episode. he was. So let's jump into the let's episode. Let's go. We talked about you doing this episode a while back. What was it about this episode that made you want to dissect it? I think it's it's a it's a really funny episode, and it's a but it's also a really dark episode. I think it shows um, a lot of what makes the show so great, but also like so uncomfortable to watch at times. HBO synopsis. While Christopher is away, Tony gives Adriana a ride home that proves disastrous. Meanwhile, the Soprano crew plays a game of telephone with the story that turns it into something far more sinister when an enraged Christopher gets wind of it. This episode originally aired on April 4th, 2004, written by Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess, directed by Alan Coulter, all were nominated for Emmys for their work in this episode. Mm. Okay, the show starts on the downbeat of a drum, Crazy Horse. We're at the Crazy Horse. Meadow's there dancing with Finn. She heads to the bathroom and bumps into her dad, who's wiping his nose. Mm-hmm. Gee, you wonder what he's doing. Weird, though, because we've never, we never seen that out of Tony, and it's, you know, this is Divorce Tony. This, this is, is Divorce Tony. Thank yeah. you. This is a, that's an important caveat, because a lot of things he's doing here are signifiers of a guy who's not at home, right? Living at home. His shirt is a thing of beauty to me. The peppers, the hot sauce, and Alan Stewart had a field day with that one. You know, we are we are also, this is our second episode together. Yes. And the last one we did uh-huh. was the Tabasco Tony. Oh, beautiful symmetry. Yeah. So, you know, we got to figure out what other, 
what other what other times he wore condiments on his uh <laughs> and make that if there's a if there's one episode between now and the end that's yours he offers her some money i mean that's a dad thing to do but was that guilt yeah then we see a Gina, as he's doing that, we see a Gina Gershon looking painting mural on the wall for all intents and purposes that very well could have been her. Could she have played anything on the show? I feel like this was peak Gina Gershon time or close to it. I mean, I feel like she could have played, uh, I feel like she definitely could have played. Not a Bing girl, but like, uh, she could have been Lorraine. She could have been Lorraine. I've, I'm picturing some... You know, the a woman that Tony respects and is attracted to yeah. somewhere on the show. Not like, Gloria. She's not, not a Gloria. She's a little bit below Gloria. Mm-hmm. Could she have been a Valentina? She could have been a Valentina. So she's, okay, so she's neck and neck with Valentina. Okay, I am satisfied. Anyway, Tony storms out. There's a red mark on his head, the first we've seen it. He bumps into aid. And that's interesting because the contrast of him bumping into aid right after Meadow is interesting given what happens in this episode. Mm-hmm. He and Benny leave for a place called Bud's Butter Bun on Love Broadway. It. Bud's Butter Bun. Bud's Butter Bun. What kind of establishment does that sound like to you? Is it a breakfast spot? <sighs> it's got to be. It's got to be like a diner or something, right? What is a butter bun? Is that an East Coast thing? I, have, I don't no know. Idea. No idea. Okay. No, I've never heard of a butter bun I looked it up. I didn't find one. There was nothing. Nothing there. I looked it up as well. I just... Um, for all the Bud's Butter Buns out there... Yeah. During this time, we wish you well. Take out and delivery at Bud's Butter Buns. Take out delivery. Support your local Bud's Butter Bun on Broadway and 118th, please. Okay, the red lighting as he turns around and looks back at us. I posted this. He's always looking. He's always checking until he's not, yeah. right? The frame is magnificent. It's absolutely beautiful. How they shot that? Yeah. You've you've seen a set. You work at a place where there's lights everywhere. It's not easy to get that shot. Right. And that's not post-production either. Beautifully done. Cut to Aid and Robin in the car. She tells San Severino that he's spending a lot of time in the club. There's something we're not going to be saying for a long time, Mm. spending time in a club. I remember one of our first encounters together, speaking of clubs, you were a DJ for a period. I was. I've never asked you this. What music did you play and what was the biggest crowd you ever played for? Um, Mostly hip hop. Uh, I enjoyed being a jack of all trades, but my bread and butter and butter bun was hip hop. Um... As far as crowds, I don't know. We used to play for my main gigs were always just like two, three hundred people, right? Like college, post college, okay. post college, into, into my early thirties to to date myself. I probably from my mid twenties to my early thirties. I started DJing when I was young. I made beats. I did everything. Uh, did you, you use Serato decks? I so I got my first set of turntables when I was in high school back in the late nineties. Techniques. I got techniques when I was in college. I used to have, I can't even remember the name of the company right now. God. Samson? No, they, but they were, they were belt drives and they were the worst. The turntables I had, they were belt drives. They were terrible. You had to like, if you, if, when you scratch, you had to like push to like get the torque back to where it needed to be quickly. It was hilarious. Did it you like, ever use the Pioneer CDJs? I, I just never got really, I never, I tried. You're very analog. Yeah, I was very analog, but... Do um, you still have your vinyl? I sold most of it when I moved to California. 
um, which I, I miss. I, 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 I saved a crate. And I have then, one crate as well. Yeah. And then I ended up rebuying a lot when I uh, got here. When I go back. Where but, do you buy stuff here? Well, um, I live in Highland Park, where if anybody's listening in Los Angeles, you, you know that High, Highland Park is at this point all coffee shops, vintage stores, and record stores. Sometimes record stores and vintage stores in one. There's, um, Adrian Young owns a hair salon with his wife that also doubles as a record shop right next door to me. Yeah. Um, gimme, so there, so local. Yeah, Gimme Gimme is right across the street from me. Permanent Records is my neighborhood. There's a lot of record stores in, in the neighborhood that are all great. Um, biggest crowd I've ever played in front of, though, a couple thousand people. We used to do this event every summer uh, that we used to – we did at this big open field in Providence, and we used to sell that out, um, and it was a couple thousand people. Nice. Yeah, it was cool. Wow. It was cool. It was great times. And, yeah, I love music, yeah. uh, and I love I love DJs too. The curators of culture, man. Robin hints T's hanging around maybe because of aid, which is of course logical. I thought aid's conclusion was a little bit of a leap, but I get it. Primal instincts rule the day, especially in Sopranos land. She gets orders to note numbers when Chris is on the shower on his phone, which made me wonder, is there a way to know if someone has looked through your phone? Forget about then, like now, could you know if your phone has been looked through? I don't know. Is it kind of like one of those things where... Like you're so used to your room, and then somebody comes in and like moves something a little bit to the yeah to the left. Like, is there any like digital like trace? I did a, I did a little digging. There's an app, obviously, that will track. It basically make like a video track of your phone, and then there's also something called stealth mode, where if it's in stealth mode, you can see all the different things. Somehow, somehow, you can go back and know what was done to your phone since the last time it was used. I've never used it. I've, I don't have any like jealous girlfriends or anything. But I, I just can't imagine being that paranoid. Yeah. In today's day, I feel like that would be an app that Tony very much would have had. Or would he, would they even have smartphones? The Cricket right next to my house, the Cricket Mobile, they're still open. So <laughs> people need burners even in yes. these crazy times. All of a sudden, Aid's got to go. Autopsy said this very nicely, I thought. She's got to go number two in an episode where Tony is contemplating whether or not to destroy his number two. Yes. His heir apparent. There's a lot of number twos going on. A in lot this, of yeah. number twos. Anybody at any one of your gigs have pants like Adriana's with the torn white jeans? God, they they didn't, but I you got to remember, I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s in the Northeast around a lot of Italian-Americans, so, like, nothing about this style shocks me. If anything, it makes me nostalgic. Oh, for sure. Oh, my God. Cut from aid in pain to a close-up with Tony in pain. Nice symmetry. He's getting a medical procedure like her. Looks like he's getting a bullet removed from his head, which was a nice metaphor. No Melfi, right, for the past five episodes means he's got a hole in his head. He needs help. That's what I saw. Turns out it's for a biopsy. Nurse says there's a canteen on level L, which the only point I want to make here is that it got me thinking about the origin of the word canteen. Mm -hmm. First came on the scene in the 1700s. Comes from the Latin for canto, which means corner. And my only point, Justin, is that this word has been on a wild journey from corner to military store to a vessel for drinks. We really squeezed the pulp out of that word. Wow. See what I did there? I see exactly what you did there. Could have some pulp. Next, back to aid at the doctor's. She's describing liquid diarrhea. The doc suspects a stress-related GI issue. He nails it on the head. 
But then he says Jim Jams. Yeah. What's, what's How do you feel about Janet Jackson, by the way? I love Janet Jackson. Okay, great. Yeah. Jim Jams, The Origin. I have that for you. But what is this, an English class now? <laughs> it comes from as far back as the 16th century and took the meaning of a fit of depression or nervousness in the late 19th century. This, of course, though, is not to be confused with one Jimmy Jam. Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis. Thank you. A key figure behind Janet Jackson. And in preparing for this, I was thinking to myself, man, that song Escapade oh, yeah. from Rhythm Nation is super timely right now. Yeah. If everybody in the world listened to Escapade in their quarantine, I think something really good could happen on the planet. Well, you see the videos of people in Italy from their balconies playing songs. So, yes. Um, maybe we can get that going across Los Angeles with Escapade. Maybe we can get everybody to play Rhythm Nation yeah. end to end. Yeah. Okay, cut to Tony doling out cash to Carm, her allowance, right? She heard about him at the club. News travels fast. Great soundbite. Well, it's your life, Tony. Got that right. Carmela's taken up art. She's sketching a fruit bowl. What things, Justin, are you planning to take up in this brave new world? I was thinking about getting back into DJing. No. Um, I, so I have to say, I am trying my best to be 23 years old again. That, that was like the last time I just, you know, hung around like a piece of shit for hours on end. I purchased a PlayStation 4 right as everything was going down. Okay. And I have not owned a video game console since I bought a PlayStation 2 about five years too late just to play Madden. God, your listeners are going to think I'm like the most football obsessed. Do you play Madden? Is that what you got the PlayStation 4 for? I got the PlayStation. I bought, here are the, here are the games. I bought. I bought the brilliant games, right? It came with like God of War and some other games that I'll just never touch. Right. I'm like, I've, I don't, no interest in that stuff. Yeah. I bought Madden. I bought 2K. I bought MLB The Show. I bought... Grand Theft Auto, and I bought Tony Hawk Pro Skater. And it's just like the broiest collection of games that I could possibly buy. <laughs> but because I'm not a piece of shit in my um, early 20s anymore, I haven't even had a chance. This thing, I got this thing about a week ago, and I haven't even had a chance to plug it in. I've been so busy with work. It's just the cat lays on it. And the dog comes and stares at her. It's like they, they just, they're just, it's a toy for them at this point. Yeah. Um, Why'd you pick the PlayStation instead of the Xbox? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know anything about video games. Well, Madden people in particular have a very strong affinity one versus the other. Yeah. Do, oh, no. Yeah. Did, did I pick the I right mean, one? The qual- I, I don't know. I used to play Madden. I used to just do the drafts, though. I used to do the fan. I pick a fantasy team, like a, a pick a team. You would pick the coach, and then you would just assemble the roster. Yeah, I would make the roster, and then I would simulate the season and see if I won the Super Bowl. That's how I played it. Wow, because I, <laughs> I, I couldn't get like I couldn't do like all the audibles and just you. If you, play, if you are you going to play online? I'm sure you're going to figure out a way to play online. That's the. Whole I don't know. I don't want to get my ass kicked by 11 year olds. You will get decimated. And the 11 year olds going to kick it's, my ass. It's so demoralizing. And they're going to curse at me and. They're Oh man, like I don't. They do on the line of scrimmage. They 
You can change like all the different routes of all the receivers. You can change the way the offensive God, line rotates. And it's like there's like tw- there's like seven buttons, but there's like combinations of buttons, and there's just no way you can't. There's no way to get good <sighs> unless you play. Fuck. You know, it's truly like I think the they have like a league where like the best Madden players yeah, in the world yeah. they make like six figure incomes. They, but they dominate. What a life. What are you doing in there? Anyway, how did we get on video games? You, you, you were... I'm reading a lot. You're reading a lot. I'm reading a lot. Yeah, I am coming up with new podcast ideas. Oh. Um, I'm also just trying to maximize the time with the kids. That's great. Because it's a profound opportunity to yeah. be extra with them. Yeah. And they totally, like, look at our faces for, like, how to think and react. So we're just, like, it's super positive and happy at home. So, but definitely books, dude. Okay. That's my therapy. I haven't been watching a lot of stuff, though. I haven't felt like turning on the TV. And I haven't, like, all the content on Netflix and Amazon. I'm just kind of like, ugh. Yeah. I've been, I've been trying to watch some more movies. I've been trying to, I've been such a, such a douchebag in, like, introducing my girlfriend to, like, Stuff like Raging Bull. <laughs> yeah, like old stuff, right? Yeah, but like stuff. she doesn't care about Raging Bull. But I'm thinking about getting the Criterion channel. I think that's my I think that's my next uh, Is that a subscription service now? Oh yeah. It's like ten bucks a month. That's my quarantine move. Just go through all the snobby movies that I that I want to. That's a good call. Thanks for mentioning that. I didn't know that you could do it on streaming now. I thought you had to buy it. Yeah. Tony breaks Carmelo's stride by taking a bite, puts it back. I think I've done that a couple of times in the history of my life in the name of Tony Soprano. Hasn't ended well, but I have done that. What is it about drawing classes, I wonder? What's therapeutic about them? And why do they usually get taken up as we get older? These are all questions I was thinking as I saw this. I found that as we get older, drawing actually helps with memory, emotional intelligence, and stress relief. Okay. My friend Dan draws. He's done a lot of artwork for me. He actually made those pins. I should have him on to talk about drawing as therapy. Oh, really quick in that scene, too. Yeah. Do you notice that Tony, he specifically does not tell Carmela when she asks what the thing on her head was, and he says, oh, I bumped it on the medicine cabinet. Yeah. Like, there's only one person in this entire episode that he tells what's what's really going on, um, which we get to in a little bit when he talks to Aid about it. But, like, he's very... He does not... I don't know if it's not for not wanting to scare Camilla. I don't know if it's because he doesn't want to appear weak. Is but he still bitter about the MRI from season one? That's also a possibility, but it's not like he's uh, it's not like he's telling Paulie and Silvio hmm. that, he's, that he's going in for this, you know? That makes sense, though, because that weakens his leadership. Right. But why is he not vulnerable to Carmella, do you think? Maybe it's the same thing with her, too, to a certain extent right now. I think there's a lot of interesting things with camera angles here about in the power dynamics in play in this episode that I want to get into when the scenes come up, so... I think that like... Stop, make sure you stop me. I will. Cut to Chris and Aid. Irritable bowel syndrome. Chris isn't into her or what's going on. He's got his own version of irritable bowel syndrome. What's going on with him? Is it his sobriety? I think so. I think that he, I think that he feels a lot of resentment. Autopsy corner again. Love his observation of Adriana's face split. In two by the mirror. Yeah. Elegant little detail. Because you're watching them through the mirror. Right. You're not watching right. them on camera. You're watching them on camera no, through the mirror. No, it's a, a great shot. And I was like, what is it trying to say? And then I read autopsy and I'm like, oh. Thank you, Ron. Cut to the club office. Tony's betting baseball on the phone. Made me wonder what is going on with the betting industry right now. 
Um, I was on Bovada this morning after I saw your notes and I saw that. Are you a better? No, no, I don't. I, every time I bet I lose money, you know, for as much as I seem to know about football, that doesn't translate into betting because it's all crapshoot mm. reason why Vegas wins money. Um, they were taking futures bets on when we think the seasons are going to start. So they are taking some bets. They're futures bets, you know. But, like, typically a futures bet would be, like, for people out there listening that don't know, a futures bet would be, like, who do you think is going to be NFL MVP? Who's going to win the NBA championship? And you place that a a while in advance. Right now the futures bets are when do you think these seasons are coming back? And there was also – you the top things on Bovada, one of the biggest betting websites, were the futures on when the sports were coming back, a MMA um, event that I, I had never heard of, GFC, Gorilla Fighting Championship. Get out of here. Yeah. Is that legal? Well, gorilla? it's not gorillas. It's not gorillas fighting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, fuck it. That's, that's as dystopian as I can imagine. Yeah, People just yeah. know. But <laughs> Planet of the Apes over here, literally. <laughs> but um, no, it's just a like, sub-UFC um, like a G League for the UFC? I don't know. But isn't the other one like? Isn't there the one? The other one they do that's what's the second biggest one? Is like I'm awful with fighting. Yeah, me too. But, yeah. Um, MMA, UFC. You could bet on that. You could also bet on table tennis. Okay. Fucking table tennis. Virtual table tennis because they're not social distancing if they're playing table tennis. The sweat droplets are flying everywhere. I mean, you're six feet apart. Okay. All right. uh, Man, again, this virus really gives you perspective. Remember, Justin, the Astros scandal, what, three weeks ago? Seems like a rocket ship to the moon. So very quickly for any of the listeners out there that have no idea, the Astros, it was revealed that they were stealing signs throughout the 2017 season and most in, into 2018 and possibly beyond that. But they ended up winning a championship in 2017. Um they Astros were a very good team, but it turns out that they were stealing signs and they were banging trash cans to communicate them. If you if you you're not familiar with the scandal, I'm not gonna take up any more time. Please just Google it. But they were banging fucking trash cans to communicate signals. It was hilarious. Um, throughout spring training, which had started just before everything got shut down, the players were getting hit by pitches left and right because the opposing players are so pissed off. I was thinking about this. The Astros may accidentally be the biggest beneficiary of this whole thing because people are going to forget just how angry they were at them. I was thinking the same thing. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. This virus is the best thing that ever happened to the Astros. Right. How fucked is that? I know. And I was thinking the same thing when you were describing free agency. I had like a follow-up question was like, did anybody really care? You know, like- People really cared about Tom Brady leaving. People- People in the in NFL Boston, world. we're freaking out about the virus at this point. Oh, my God. Yeah, I wrote an article last week. So one of the things I did last week was I listened to sports radio in Boston all day after Tom Brady announced. They weren't talking about pandemics. They were talking about... So it was really brilliant. Um, it was this really brilliant moment that, like, I just use it for the lead of the article I wrote. So I listened to sports radio for about 14 hours altogether, all things told, like, you know, going back and, like, listening to the two stations. Um, a lot... I heard a lot of accents and not a lot of R's that day. Um, <laughs> but so when the Tom Brady news came at that exact moment on one of the stations, um, one of the hosts was saying, 
was going off about the NFL's decision to hold free agency in the middle of this. And he was saying like, this is literally what he was saying. He was saying, you know, when they just want to seize upon this time to, that they have our attentions and they want to prove that they're bigger. He's just, he's going off about this. And at that moment, the co-host cuts in and goes, wait, 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 wait. Tom Brady just tweeted. Tom Brady just tweeted. And it's like, and all of a sudden, the rest of the day, they were not talking. Some people were like, oh my God, first the pandemic, now Tom Brady's leaving, as if those are like, you know. Well, it's like stoking the fire, you know? I'm already I'm already down, and now you're going to kick me in the gut, Tom Brady, by doing your little Instagram post at like 6 in the morning. You know? <laughs> One guy said, and I'm sorry if we're getting too much into this, but uh, it was... Dude, it was I, let's, just, let's keep going. It was, it was hilarious. One guy said, he said, it's like you're in the schoolyard, and you're getting beat up by the bully, and then he knocks you down, and then while you're down, he kicks you in the head. To have this on happen... On top of what everything, and on top of everything else is happening in the world, I just can't take it. You know what I'm thinking of as you describe that Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting when he knocks the guy out in the in the very beginning. The yeah, they used to beat him up when he was a kid. Yeah, that's what I'm imagining. Except put Tom Brady's face on it, and he's just punching, <laughs> punching the state of Massachusetts. Um, okay, so a new girl brings. We're gonna weave back and forth. A new girl <laughs> between brings, pandemic and sopranos <laughs> between pandemic sopranos and tom brady um a new girl brings in a drink which is always a red herring to me in the show is that a new character it makes me wonder then aid comes in to get her day planner remember those yeah did you ever have one yeah she gripes about her car we were talking about this off mic a little bit Five thousand miles and the alternator's going right now justin if your alternator crapped out could you fix it no i couldn't either which is kind of sad. If mechanics shut down for a while, what does that mean for cars? I don't, you know. Because they're not essential businesses. No, and I mean, luckily we don't have to travel very far. Yeah. Um, I think. Most of us, the ones of us who are fortunate enough to. I think the people and the powers that be that want our cities to be more walkable and more bikeable, I think another potential upside of all this is that we might get what we wanted without having to widen roads and do a lot of civic redevelopment. Have you seen the air quality maps of LA from the past few days? What do they look like? Green. Wow. You know, red's obviously bad on these maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all green. I saw on, I think Friday, the day after uh, Governor Newsom said, everybody stay home, there were no sig alerts in Los Angeles, like in the, in the radius I don't think that's ever happened, mm-hmm. ever. That is wild when you think about that. Incidentally, for your pet boys over here moment of the pod, mm-hmm. an alternator charges the battery and provides additional electrical power to the car. Mm. Aid says she's drinking white Russians for her stomach. I never understood this, Justin. White Russians consist of vodka, coffee liqueur, and cream. And they became really popular thanks to the Big Lebowski in 1998. But how can dairy and cream be good for your stomach? Do you think any of these people on the show know how to do anything right when it comes to their body? I mean... But I think it's the writers making fun of them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's a cohort of people that think that like milk coats your insides. Yeah. It makes you feel nice and warm and cozy inside. And I think that's that. Yeah. It's like the same thing as like ginger ale. You drink ginger ale when you're sick, right? Right. The corn syrup, sugary, processed ginger ale. Yeah. (laughs) 
Also, we're, ju- we're just jumping all. It is also we we did note that Tony was doing coke for the first time, right? Or at the beginning of the episode, when he comes out, he's he's wiping his nose. I think he's done it before on the show. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't remember. Remember when it. they had the uh, flight attendants and he they have to like leave all of a sudden and he knocks on the door and Chris is Chris is in the bathroom doing something. I think Tony did coke then, but. Okay. But I'm not sure. Okay. I, th- I, I remember like, what you're talking about. I'm the, okay. Because he says it in this episode, pull my leg. D- divorce Tony. You didn't, oh, okay. But he's, but also the gambling, you know, we don't really see Tony gamble. We, we see it throughout, we see it after this point in the series, but we don't see it before this really with him. I, I like your distinction, pre-separation Tony and post-separation Tony. Yeah. And this is halfway through the season but, almost. But, you know, it's always the degenerate gambler, right? Mm. And I mean, like, embedding on a games is different than, like, um, what David Scatino was doing, right? Like, mm. putting, putting a few bucks down. First of all, who bets on baseball, though? It's such a stupid sport to who bet on. Who does bet on baseball? You bet on, you, you, you bet on football or, you know, betting on basketball and baseball is so... I, don't even get me started. Why is betting on basketball bad? I thought betting on basketball was like a... Do you think so? I mean, it's just... It's, well, see, I love basketball. So if I were to put my money into a game... That makes I would, sense. I would put it there because I, I, I feel like I know about it more. Every sport's unpredictable. But I just think that like when you're playing that many games over the course of the season, it becomes... You end up with a situation... Oh, football works because it's fewer games. That's what that's what I think. And I mean, of course, like you still can end up with a situation like the Miami, Miami Dolphins beating the New England Patriots in week 17 last year. Mm. There's upsets. That's why. That's why it's, it's a bet. But it just seems like with football, I don't know. It's just like with the NBA. Like, uh, sure, like the Lakers are playing the uh, the Warriors. Funny that the Warriors are so terrible. But like, but they're on the second night of a back to back. Like, are they going to be able to cover the spread? I mean, I guess that's the science of it. But it's just like I just think when there are so many games, it just becomes like that much more unpredictable. It dilutes it. Yeah. She tells Tony that she has irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, and he says that Livia had it too, which made me wonder, did the diagnosis go back that far? I checked, and it's been called by that name since 1944. Okay. So yes, there is no cure, by the way. So another thing that's similar to what we're dealing with right now, there's no vaccine. Then he tells her, like you said a few minutes ago, he tells Adriana about his head. It's cancer. He's getting a little sympathy from her. Is this his move? Is he moving on her a little bit? No, I think he just feels vulnerable in that moment. I think at that specific moment, he feels vulnerable and like he can share the information. See, like, I thought like he was confiding in her like a daughter almost. Yeah, right? Like Not sexual. Not sexual at not all. Not yet. No. He refers to it as squamous, which of course is squamous cell carcinoma. Squamous cells are the ones on the outer layer of skin cells for those that are preparing for their medical boards. Top guy, though, Katz. Hesh recommended him, naturally. Got to get that casual. Tony casual. says this. Got to get the casual Jewish reference in, yeah. right? There's tension between them, and we've never seen this before. A lot of things that we haven't seen before. This is post-Tony, though, like post-Tony separation, like you said. Again, it's coming on strong. Last episode, she offered him a sandwich, and I perseverated about that in that podcast, have you ever been offered a sandwich and declined? I feel like it's criminal. You know, I can see a couple situations where I may, but I don't know. Shame I, on you. Yeah, I know. I know. 
They agree to sandwiches keep... become a big thing in this episode too. I love yes, it. Yes, sandwiches are a prop or a character. They agree to keep their medical woes a secret between them. To which I thought, HIPAA over here. Mm. Cut to Chris reading a map. Chris reads a map. There's a digital short series. That'd be phenomenal for you. Tagline: Is he gonna manage to get the drip? <laughs> They're going to Raleigh for a job. And I wondered, is there a historical connection to Raleigh as a hub for organized crime? Any idea? No. Me either. I'll check. <laughs> and it, the fact that they were saying something about Raleigh made me wonder if that was like an outpost. You know, like, a, like Atlanta right. is an airport hub. Right. Is Raleigh a hub for a certain kind of thing? Maybe we answered our own question. Raleigh is the home. Uh, North tobacco. Carolina is the home of tobacco. Tobacco. There right. There go. See, we worked so we were together. going, Right. The trip appears to be a payment for some cigarettes, a barter of some kind. Christopher, with one of my favorite overhears. Eric Estrada over here. Perfect. Of course, is an actor best known for his role in is Chips. It is, is it is? Or is it He's worth? around. Okay. Actor best known for his role in Chips that aired on NBC from 1977 to 83. Aid comes over, tells Chris he forgot his folic acid. Which made me wonder, why do guys take folic acid? I thought it was meant for pregnancies to help birth defects. Well, I believe it also helps with alcoholism. Okay. And that makes sense, at least as far as Chris is concerned. So folic acid is gender agnostic. Good to know. Little Polly with the new guy. By the way, have you ever taken vitamins by IV? No, I, you know what? I meant, a lot of people are doing that. I was thinking about doing that because I, I ran the damn marathon a few weeks ago. And I was thinking about doing that. Yeah. Now, where, where am I going to... You're not going to let anybody touch you now. Not, well, I mean, if any, they're not going to just let... I can't just walk into a storefront and have them put an IV But it's like me. a real thing. Like you go to get fuel up your car. People go to fuel up their... To get an IV of... Uh, Hell yeah. Vitamins. Yeah. It's a new thing. I haven't done it yet, but I'm very curious about it. Okay. Little Polly is with a new guy. Right. Love the way the show introduces new people. They're just there. Nothing fucking ceremonious about it at all. Tony B is an exception, of course. Mm -hmm. This one, of course, is Jason Molinaro, played by the actor William DeMeo. Aid inquires about the contraband, and again, Chris is moody as fuck. Guy's got a toothache, and he's letting Adriana know about it. Hasn't reached castaway-level proportions yet, though, so what's his fucking problem? When she asks what he's up to, the way he moves in on her, I love this. She's backpedaling and the camera's backpedaling. He's too dumb to be suspicious, but it's right there for the taking is what I always think. Like there's so much going on, but he's so preoccupied with being Christopher that right. he can't nip it in the bud, Right. to use Tony's word from last episode. He's got an impaction, which is a partially exposed tooth, and all he can take is oil of clove because he's sober. Have you ever taken oil of clove? I've never. Back at the club, Tony walks in on aid doing a line of coke. He does a line too. You don't have to ask him twice, right? He asks about the band playing. She says that someone still has been pushing, which is an inside joke. Right. The Lost Boys. Yes. Yeah. Which is his, like, one of his bands, right? One of his bands. Uh, nice touch. Stevie, him. Stevie Van Zandt's band, not Sill, because if Sill was right. a- Little Steven. Yeah. If, if, if Sill was in a, in playing guitar on the show, that would just be amazing. Like, I don't know, Tony, we're playing a drop E. 
Sorry. Sorry for that impersonation. <laughs> no, but he never had he oh you my the anybody that's listening to this knows that the impersonations are god awful, but made with love. Yeah. Note the psychedelic artwork on the wall behind Adriana. To me that triggered Tony's brain immediately after pulling up from that line. They laugh at Chris's expense. She says she's free to drink while he's gone without getting that look. Of course, they're talking about the constipated owl look. That was me when the NBA got canceled, mm. by the way. I'm sure that was you when Tom Brady sent that text. Nah. Or the, you know, too soon. Sad, sad, too soon. sad times. It's just finally sinking. Six rings, though, man. It's a hell of a run. He, he's going to look so weird in a Tampa Bay Bucks jersey. But so did Jordan, man. So did Jordan. And the Wizards. I know. You'll, you're only going to remember the Patriot years. You're not going to remember this. Everyone says this, and then they show pictures of the Jordan and the Wizards all the time. Unless he wins. If he wins in Tampa. I want him to win. I want him to win, too. I'm a Brady fan. I'm, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a West Coast guy. He's a West Coast guy. I'm a Brady fan. I want him to be successful. I think this week I might have found out that I'm more of a Brady fan. <laughs> well, because how can you not be? I, th- I, think, I think that that's pretty easy for a lot of people not to be. Well, there was a lot of people that didn't like him, and then the Falcons Super Bowl happened. And they were like, wow. He won a lot of people over with that. You think so? I'm not in Patriot circles. Yeah. But I know people that are casual about him. But when they saw that comeback in the Super Bowl, were like, he's a real one. I mean, he was a real one before that. Oh, he was. (laughs) Look, he was was a real one uh, when they played the Raiders in the snow. Yeah. That was when it was like, okay. Even though that was all Vinatieri and whatever, and circumstances and referees. In the rule book, that. the rule book, I shouldn't say. The referees did their job. You but he to... marched, he did his job. Yeah. He put his team in a winning position. Yeah. And, um, you know, he had he was on the coat, riding the coattails of Drew Bledsoe. So he had big shoes to fill and he did it. But I feel. Medium sized shoes to fill. Medium sized shoes. But come on, Bledsoe had, Bledsoe had one of the biggest contracts ever, right? He was the guy. Yeah. That was gonna supposed to fix the Patriots franchise. He did to a certain extent. Him did. and Parcells. But worth noting that Aid never looked so good. She looked great. She's always fire, but here she's virtually irresistible. Contrasted with what happens to her at the end of this episode, that was interesting. They put her in two. They paint her differently, uh, wildly different in two different points of the show. They're flirty for the first time. The darts fall. She's in a suggestive position on her knees for a moment. It is not subtle. This is one of the camera cuts I wanted to talk about. Before she gets up and they almost kiss, they, you know, she's on her knees and she's down and the camera cuts up mm-hmm. to uh, Tony's looking down on her. And he's like, obviously, he's in this very powerful position. And we see similar shots two more times throughout this episode. And one of them comes up very soon. Um, we can get into that when it happens, but it just... the. They're using the camera. Say it now so you have context. Okay. So I believe that they're using these camera angles to really show the power dynamics at play here. And we see it in the next scene. I believe it's the next scene where um, Tony's waiting outside. Melfi's office. And it's the same thing. He's sitting down and she's – the camera cuts and she's looking down on him. And then later on when Tony visits Carmella for the last time at the house – and he's asking her to help him out. Mm. Similar cut. And it actually, I'll save this one, but at the very end, I think there's something important with the way the camera camera shows Tony and Carmella tied to all this. They are saved by a door bang. Joey Peeps and Phil Leotardo come in, hand Tony an envelope. Pretty soon, that's how we're going to be exchanging 
transactions, by the way, even if you're not in the, yeah. in the mob, we're going to be handing people envelopes yeah. with various things, toilet paper and whatnot inside them. Cut to Tony in Melfi's waiting room. Fresh air. He's back. Camera choice to have her descend upon him. Mm-hmm. Like you said, she's in a position of power for a change. Or was it always the case? Has she always been in a position of power with him? I think it's Tony kind of, um, I think she, he gives the illusion that she has the power. He kind of like see, he, he always ultimately has the power cause he's Tony, right? Until, until he doesn't he way later on. He seeds it. He chooses to seed it to certain people. Yeah. It's kind of like, I think that like, um, to use a sexual reference, but it's kind of like he powers from the bottom. Is that how it goes? I don't know. I can't remember how it goes. I'm not, I'm not, you, you could cut this part you, you, if you, you want. You don't read the Kama Sutra is what you're trying yeah, to say. Yeah, I don't, I don't. What's your general view of the Melfi sessions? I didn't ask you this last time. Love them, not love them, or somewhere in between? I love them. Love them. Thank love them. I think, I think it's the, I think it's like, I think the most interesting parts of the show It's the glue that holds the shoe together. It's yeah. together for me. Yeah, absolutely. And okay. holds Tony together to a certain extent. But. Beautifully said. They sit and stare at each other for several beats. Mm-hmm. It works so well because mm-hmm. it's so real, right? He starts off by thanking her for taking the appointment. He immediately confesses that he almost hooked up with Adriana. And she's proud of his impulse control that he actually thought about it this time. He says he always thinks. He makes a point to say that. Mm. Does he? No. And what are his top couple lapses in your mind okay so far i got three okay given the airplane tickets to, uh, to livia Ooh, that was a lapse huh because you can't trust the mother to do the right thing with him it was a, it was an in the moment thing it was it, like he just he wasn't thinking i mean he didn't it, he didn't do 12 steps ahead yep, thinking he didn't okay. he didn't think ahead it was Good just one. in that moment in that moment um i think killing ralphie the way he did when he did that was a lapse. I think that was a lapse. I think like, like, look, we saw in the, the episode before this one, the way he handled the feet situation. And we know that he had, one of his lapses, you can argue, was letting the, uh, the Richie April situation get to where, where it was, right? That that was a lapse. But I don't, like, you could also make an argument like a lapse in judgment is just like the long-term, like, trying to groom Christopher when that was like obviously not going to work out. Mm, mm. Um, but I I choose to view the lapses like these momentary, like spur of the moment things that he did that ended up backfiring. So yeah. I got- Both give, good ones. Giving Livia the plane tickets, killing Ralphie when he did. Um, keep in mind, they're in the middle of the Esplanade and Ralphie's his biggest earner in the middle mm-hmm. of all this, right? Mm-hmm. Really, really shitty timing. Um, and- I've got one that happens way later in the series that I will not say I could tell you off mic, but as far as things that have already happened, obviously uh, sleeping with Svetlana. That's obviously a huge. Uh, that's a massive one. That's the, I mean, that's. That created this whole situation that we're in right now. That's why we got divorced, Tony, so I guess we should be thankful for that. Melfi goes off script like your mistress cousin wasn't enough. That's unprofessional to say the least. For anybody that's been in therapy. Yeah. A lot is of, it okay given the nature of their relationship at this point? I don't know. And I, and I do wonder this because if anybody, if you've ever been in therapy, therapy is nothing like it is in their sessions, right? 
there's there's moments. There's, there's moments. moments. I shouldn't say that because I, I should not say that. That's I think that discredits a lot of the yeah, work that went but into. There's definitely moments. Yes, but like moments like this where she's being like when she's like taking the gloves off, right, and like judging, judging, and like, but also like doling out life advice. Like therapists often don't do that. <laughs> But that's what we want them to do, though. That's what we want them to do. I mean, Tony, at one point in this scene, says, just tell me what to do. Yes, exactly. He's saying for everybody who's in therapy, who's ever been in a chair, he's basically the spokesman for everybody. Like, just fix me. Just tell me what to do. Just fix it. Yeah. So I can stop paying you. His face. (laughs) It's like a player that gets the ball ripped out of his hands and then dunked on by Zion. Mm. Gosh, I wrote this so long ago <laughs> that that reference just seems like, like I, again, I, you can't even contextualize what's happened, but there were a few games where people would get the rebound and Zion would just see them and take it out of their hand and then dunk the ball. But it's like, are we ever going to see that again? Right. Oh my God. Anyway. So th- this, my outline was written for the listeners. I think that I wrote this like two or three weeks ago before a lot of things happened in the world. Um, he openly contemplates starting a whole new family with Adriana out loud, Justin. What the fuck? Weird. Right? Weird. But that's his pathology. Right. He's a sociopath and he's openly telling his therapist like, settle down, have new kids. Mm. It's that easy for him. Whereas for most of us, like, like divorce isn't even a, Topic. Well, yeah. maybe, maybe we think it, but just crazy. The <laughs> fact that he the fact that he openly does it. Melfi's different when he says that. She's like Kawhi after a load management night off. Feisty as hell. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna start crying. For once you wanna avoid doing something you know is wrong. And he's blunt, like you said, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. If we could all just say that to our therapists, right? It's what we all deep down inside think the point is, at least part of it. Melfi brings up the fact that Tony said just recently the same thing about her that he's saying about aid, which was powerful. Also takes us back to previous episodes. And a tinge of jealousy, maybe, mm-hmm. to sell it, right? Mm-hmm. She's kind of always been physically attracted to him and vice versa. It's an alpha male. The leg cross was a great touch. When I see that, I think she's saying, remember me? Interesting. Okay. Melfi has a calming effect on Tony. Her strategy sets in, and we see that in the form of beats, and we cut to ducks. Ducks. We go from Tony finding peace to ducks. Also talking about a new family. Nice connection, potentially with Adriana, right? Potentially with Adriana. Adriana, of course, is in this scene and she's feeding the ducks. And she immediately references that Tony had the ducks in the pool. So even the most casual viewer wouldn't be able to necessarily miss this. No. And the fact that she's feeding the ducks, potentially feeding a new family Mm. that she bears for him. Wow. Damn. Aid mentions ducks to San Severino. Shows she's thinking about him. Is she getting close though? Because of her attraction to him or because she actually wants to honor her FBI responsibility? Attraction. Back at the FBI office, they're having a laugh at this potential pairing. This upset me so much. 
just not not like as a as a viewer this this upset me as like like engrossed in the story right like just you know adriana's the most sympathetic character on the show in a lot of ways um and especially in seasons four and five when she's dealing with all of this um and it just shows how much they're manipulating her, how much San Severino is manipulating her and then going back to the office and laughing about it, right? Here she is like kind of opening up to her because this is like one of the only human relationships that she has at this moment. And then they're back at the FBI office laughing at her about it. Yeah. Oh, they're totally using her. She's a tool. I know. Does it last if they hook up and they and Tony decides throws caution to the wind. He said it in Melfi's office many times. Fuck them all. Mm-hmm. If Tony does this, does it last? No. I mean, Adriana's not good at breaking up with people, so. That's a good point. It's never been asked. I've never heard anybody talk about it. I've always wondered it. Though, like, it could very well have happened here. Like, that could have been the direction the, the tack the show takes. And Christopher could have been killed off. You know, like, there's a lot of different things that you think about. So at the FBI office, they're referring to Tony as Barney Rubble. Barney Rubble, of course, is a friend, was the friend of and neighbor, I think, of Fred Flintstone. You know, Tony's more of a Fred Flintstone, but I think that just the calling him Barney Rubble is just like just more of an insult. So but you want to know what I think the writers are doing here? He's the one character on the Flintstones that had a Jersey accent. Wow. <laughs> if that's how layered and nuanced they are, then again. This is why we're doing a fucking podcast about a show 20 years ago. Jesus Christ. Beautiful, right? He's the only one with a Jersey accent. It's perfect. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, I'm thinking about going down to uh, to the quarry and getting some uh, brontosaurus jobs, eh, you know? <laughs> Back on eight at the club, Tony walks over. The camera is in close on both their heads. It's different this time. There's an urgency, a pressure almost. She asks him for Chrissy's new number. Why did he get a new number? Is that a burner phone thing? Got to be a burner thing. Got to keep the cricket next to my house in business. Okay. Tony deflects. Does it, we're actually doing our part today, Justin, to support local businesses, by the way. The, the amount of local businesses that we've named. Um, it's important, man. Look, I don't want to live in a world where there's no businesses. Was it, was it what, what bread and what butter bun? Uh, Bud's butter bun. Bud's butter bun. Cricket, um, cricket, cricket Mobile, Figueroa in Highland rec- Park. Record store in Highland rec- Park. All the record stores. Your local bagel shop. Your local coffee shop. You know, they finally just closed. Star- Starbucks finally decided to close because people, too many people were socializing there. Yeah. Tony deflects, doesn't give it. Then some time elapses, and at the end of the night, she reluctantly heads to the back and comes across Tony examining himself in the mirror, where we get the title of our episode from. He's got a mole that's irregular around the margins. That image right now screams to me. I just had the director of an episode on, forget the name of the episode because my brain is fried a little bit, but his dad um, was the author of Love in the Time of Cholera. Okay. And when I was writing this down, I thought when I see Tony looking at himself in the mirror, evaluating himself, Tony in the time of Corona. Wow. Anything suspicious is cancer. That's his new paranoia, Justin. On top of all the other ones that he has, this is a great 360 view into Tony's psyche. He's paranoid in all aspects of his life. And that's got to be a really hard way to live. Right. Really hard way to go through things. 
Aid calls for a car, which is a relic from the past. Uber over here. Speaking of Uber, do you think Uber survives this? I'm not getting an Uber anytime soon. And I feel terrible. I feel terrible saying that because it's how so many people make income these days. But Yeah. He holds up a drink. You want a belt, he says, which is a term that means to drink a swig of alcohol. I did not know that. Mm. I, was, I was unfamiliar. On top of that, they are both down for some Coke. She's out and cross-eyed Billy is out already at the Bing. Wonder if cross-eyed Billy is good with managing his inventory of blow, what with his disability and all. <laughs> but Aid knows a guy, Andre. He's always up. Justin, Andre's always up. There's the name of a song. Cancel the car, I'll give you a ride. Right there, Justin, they're even using Uber terminology in this Cancel episode. Cancel the car. I feel like The Sopranos deserves a little bit of credit for uh, Travis Kalanick getting the idea <laughs> to start this company. In the car, Aid says a girl named Marlene thinks T's cute. Was that the girl that we saw, I wondered. Tony implies she's too old, over 30. Savage. Savage, right? Savage. All of his girlfriends have been over 30, though. Except for Irina. But Gloria? Gloria. Valentina's over 30. Valentina's over 30. So, kind of doesn't make sense. And that he would say that to Adriana was also kind of curious, given that at this point, we still think that she's kind of a daughter figure. He would never say that to Meadow. Right. You know? Then he asks for an intro to Danielle, the woman she brought over to the house once upon a time, which is such a great gift to us, mm. right? Because the viewer, we know what's going on here, but he doesn't. Danielle Chicolella. He's got a rat in his car, and he can't smell it. Mm. Is this a writing referendum on Tony Soprano? That even when it's in your car, even Tony Soprano doesn't know. I mean, look, Tony's very often not good at his job. Well said. She's not really a rat, by the way, but you know what I mean. She's compromised. She's rat adjacent. Rat adjacent. Aid awkwardly says she's dead. Drowned <laughs> Love it. on a picnic. Drown on a picnic. <laughs> she's nervous as hell. Why that wasn't a tell for him is, again... It goes back to everything after Artie saying, you see all the permutations at internet speed. Ever since that's been said in the show, we get glimpses of Tony not seeing permutations at internet speed, which to me signals that the writers are saying he's not all that. Aid sees a raccoon, of course, and screams. Tony swerves, flips onto the driver's side. Do you think any characters on the show kind of resemble a raccoon? Because I'm kind of picturing... Uh... Christopher with the eyes. I was thinking Polly with the, uh, with the yeah. wings. Yeah. Later in the hospital, the doctor, standoffish, played by Hill Harper, signs off on Tony. Guy, Justin, has a medical degree from Johns Hopkins. And when you have one of those, especially from there, you let your patients know. Got him. It's de rigueur. Tony, it's true, is relatively unscathed. Adriana, on the other hand, is a disaster. Tony says they should get their story straight before she goes home to Chris. Now he's starting to think about all those permutations. Cut to Chris backing an E250 Ford van up like a Brinks truck. I hit the fucking mother load. 20 Gs of product a week. He wants 20% of the load 
to go to vending machines, stamp those. He's talking about these things called stamps. The rest go to the bodegas. Uh, let them worry about the stamps, he says. These stamps, Justin, that he's referring to come from the 1978 Contraband Cigarette Act, oh. which prohibits the transport, receipt, shipment, possession, distribution, or purchase of more than 60,000 cigarettes, which equates to 300 cartons, not bearing the official tax stamp of the U.S. state in which the cigarettes are located. Essentially, tax stamps are evidence of the payment of an excise tax to sell the cigarettes. This becomes an issue down the line, so hopefully this is some context. Several states now have what are called high-tech stamps. They're supposedly counterfeit-resistant. New Jersey, however, does not. Okay. The guys tell Chris about aid. And Tony. The fucking luck on this guy. Right? We're all thinking the same thing. How many car accidents has he been in? How many times has he been shot at? Well, that too, you know? yeah. One of them came at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Chris plays it cool. Like he knows what the fuck is up with them going to Dover. Uh, going to see Iran, right? Is that what he said? Going says? to see Iran. He's doing it to save face though, right? Right. Are they talking about Dover, Delaware? Yes. Where the Dover, where the racetrack is. Yep. Cut to Chris and Aiden in the car. Great shot of him through the glass. Love the choice to look at him from outside as opposed to inside. He's obscured by the outside world, the power lines, the trees, the regularness of life. He doesn't buy her story. Don't talk to me. Shut your mouth. Christopher's worried about what other people are doing, what other people are thinking. Christopher has FOMO. Absolutely. And he's revealing it here. Yeah. Cut from busted up Adriana to a poster girl. Mm. At the Bing, bent over. Pull back to reveal dapper Tony picking at his shoe. He's especially dapper in this scene. He's he's dressed up. Like Pio Mai at the race's next level dapper. Yeah. Guy looks like Craig Sager or Kemba Walker on a DNP. I love both of those references. Chris comes in. I love how you put your arms up to allow me the space to give you those references. God <laughs> bless you, sir. If you can't see, I, when, I, when I see him leaning into this, I... He, he put his hands back. He knew it was coming. I just, I just lean back and I give him the space to operate. He, He's, let he, me have he my wants moment. to go hero ball. He can go hero ball. I don't know when I'm going to see Kemba Walker in that suit again, man. <laughs> you know, he, Actually, an IGTV of Kemba Walker wearing his DNP suits, Yeah, that's content Okay, right now. That's great. Chris comes in. He's worn better shirts. Again, Much. contrasting it with Tony. A tucked-in Alan Stewart wasn't working so well for him. Agree? Agree. I think the contrast was intentional here, though. Yes. You talked about this power, right? And I think that you can even see this even though Tony's sitting, but still the way they, the, the way they cropped it close up on his face. I see this in the shot, too. He's still in power. Yes. I liken it to the lion, king of the jungle, looking his best in stalking his prey right. with the underling. And of course what he's he's don't when Christopher walks in, Tony's picking literal literal number two. And handing it to his number two. Oh my God. Like writers literally if you're you're a writer, if you write this, are you high fiving yourself in the room? Kinda yeah. Before you turn the draft yeah. in? Yeah. Are you like, go fuck yourself? Anybody who touch anybody who touches this dialogue, go fuck yourself. I couldn't what I could, it was it was such a great scene, it was such a great little scene. Because 
you're trying to fi- I'm trying to figure out Tony's motivations the whole time for having this. Obviously he wants to like quell this, right? Mm-hmm. But he wants to maintain some calm too. Right. But he also feels the need immediately to hand- putting him in his place, keep him in his place by handing him the dog shit before saying like, "Hey, I didn't sleep with your fiance." He stokes the fire. He stokes the fire On before right. Why? I don't know. Does he want to kill Chris? I right don't then? know. I don't think he. No, I don't think he does. But I think this might go See, back. I, I think he's over Chris. He just bitched about him to Melfi, mm-hmm. and Chris. This is a good time to talk about it without spoiling anything. Chris has been a pain in his ass since the pilot. Yes. Yes. And the way that you described the way they knocked out Ralphie, he's always trying to like clean up, clean house. There's no better way to clean house than to take what's his to justify uh, a war, so to speak. So if there ever was a moment, we're going to get to it, that was a great moment. I don't think he was thinking that far ahead, though. I think that at that moment, he just ultimately didn't really give a shit about Christopher. Well, he was testing loyalty, too. He was testing insubordination, right? And if he got a whiff of it, Beyond what Chris gave him, things could have played out differently. Well, Tony B actually saves the day, which we'll get to. Um, He's short with Tony. He's visibly distressed. And Tony smells it, pun intended. Okay? Stokes the fire. He sets off a detonator with... Pop this in that basket for me, will you? Tony tells him the cop thought it was a fatality... When he came up on the car, he's trying to get some sympathy. So not only is he being a dick, but he's trying to say, feel sorry for me. That is some boss move shit. That's, that's some Livia shit. Livia shit. I love it. But Chris gives him nothing. Tony knows what's up. Tells him nothing happened. Nothing did happen in all fairness. Okay. But the power of perception, right? Tells him they were to use a Tom Brady reference. The perception of where we, everybody knew Tom Brady was gone. It was perception as soon as the season was over. Had his little Instagram posts and whatnot. Mm. Like the jury the Hulu had already ad. spoken. The Hulu ad. The Hulu ad. Thank you. The Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl, no less. Yeah. Talk about a Tony Soprano bo- stick. We pop this in the trash bin for me, will you? Moment for him right then and there. Fair? I don't know. I, I was a little annoyed by that one. So I don't know. I don't know if that was a Tony Too move. close to home. Yeah. He tells them that they were talking about him and that he should be thankful. Another boss move. Soundbite. She's a knockout. That's one of my favorite lines of all time. Well, frankly, you scored so far over your head when you got her. What do you expect? The fuck are you talking about? She's a knockout. A 10. And look at you. You're average at best. I remind myself of that every day, by the way. Jeez. Then he says, you better reconcile yourself with that or you're going to be fucking paranoid your whole life, which is rich because that's coming from Tony. Right. One of the most paranoid people ever. Right. And the son of one. Chris blasts Tony about his midlife crisis, says he'd fuck a catcher's mitt. Where did that expression come from? Was it Sopranos? I, I think so. I Googled it. You and did Google it. I, I love you. And it, the only thing that was really coming up was, was Sopranos. Here's the thing. I think it's that embedded in my psyche that I assume it's a reference from something else okay. instead of just being its own OG Sopranos reference. 
Tony's restraint is surprising. Again, impulse control. Then he gets biblical. On everything I hold sacred, on my children, there's nothing going on between me and Adriana. Puff of smoke, to great effect, Chris walks out. Maybe he could have waited a couple, two seconds before blowing that smoke. Again, he's taunting. He's constantly taunting his subordinates. And taunting from leadership is never a good thing. No. Sun Tzu would not endorse taunting, though, is my point. Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu. Tony looks on as he leaves. He knows he's not going to take this well. It's the writings on the wall, right? Cut to a game of telephone. Love the it. guys are convinced Aid gave Tony head. Junior was my favorite scene. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I he, laugh about it all the time. He gets the best cutaway. I heard he came all over the sun, sun visor. visor. <laughs> San Severino walks out of a coffee shop, sip and dunk. This is very subtle, okay? The place is called sip and dunk. I didn't notice this. And then the donut shop below, but the donut shop is obscured so that all you see is nut shop. <laughs> <laughs> so clever that's a coincidence fine fuck off if it's a coincidence but that is so deeply layered and nuanced i know i know nut shop too clever too much little detail a pot of being extravaganza of details over here guys cracking jokes chris walks in asks what's so funny this this hurts me again because of the sandwich he wants in on the joke he's hot and instigative Hand gesture with the open sandwich is a nice touch. A piece of lettuce flying off would be the only thing that could have made it any better. Chris calls Vito a parade float. Maybe maybe that's why uh, Vito eventually took steps to try to fix that a little. Interesting. So you're saying this is the precursor to him getting on a program. Yeah. Okay. I feel like that's not a big spoiler. No, no. These are not spoilers. These are, these are look-aheads. Vito says he's a fucking captain now. Don't talk to me like that. Points his middle finger at him. Was that layered? Was that message? Do they know Vito's future at that moment? I don't, I don't think so. Chris throws the sandwich at Vito. Lettuce, shrapnel all around. What a waste. Because this is a carryover from last episode. Cut to Chris coming home and immediately assaulting Adriana. It's brutal. This is what I was talking about when I said that at the, at the beginning, that I think this is one of the darker episodes in some ways because... As the scene goes on, I don't think we see this kind of direct... There's there's another moment this season where we see very brutal violence. But this is definitely the most brutal. Yes. The dragging. Yes. Oh, so you two are just going to go toot up a bunch of lines, go fucking bird watching? That's another great one. Yeah. Again, comedy amidst the menace and the horror. Yeah. It's constantly teetering on both ends with like this levity. And genius in writing. Chris throws furniture, rolls over tables, everybody this, everybody that. Fucking guy's more paranoid than we've ever seen. Again, this is Tony Residue. Yeah. He accuses her of wanting him to use again, which is kind of his version of doing what Tony just did to him, digging and blaming and kind of instigating, stoking the fire. He backslaps her, grabs her by the hair, pulls her across the room, throws her out, immediately goes for the vodka. So much for the sobriety. Makes you wonder, who's he really mad at, Justin? Versus, 
who can he actually take it out on? I mean, Christopher probably could have benefited from some therapy himself. From that violent scene, we cut to Chuck Liddell fighting on the TV. It's a matter of what is uh, acceptable violence, right? Yeah. And we we see very brutal violence on TV in the scene before that that is unacceptable to us. Right. But then we cut to AJ watching violence that is acceptable. We have normalized violence. With normalized violence on TV. I don't know what that says about us. I don't know. Hey, look, I'm a boxing guy. Yeah. I love boxing. When you're inside the lines, somehow violence is okay. But when you're outside, there becomes all these like rules and ethics and norms. Well, it was funny with like another NFL reference this year when Miles Garrett, um, when he swung his helmet mm -hmm. at um, the quarterback. The quarterback for the Steelers. Why can't I remember his name? Oh, it was Mason uh, Rudolph. Mason Rudolph. And everyone was talking about like, oh, he's incredibly violent. Like he's a criminal. Arrest him. And it's like. It gets in the blurred line of what is acceptable violence. In Where do you fall in like the extracurricular violence on a football field? Is it part of the game? I think I'm a little more forgiving of what Miles Garrett did than a lot of people. Obviously, you can't have that go on in the sport, and you need to handle it appropriately. Um, because you know, if you if you guys have if you got have guys swinging their helmets at people, um, they somebody could get killed. Yeah. Somebody could get killed going across the middle. Yeah. I think that it's a lot to ask these guys to play full speed and have a switch. be violent and then just immediately switch it off. And like a lot of guys can, but it's a violent sport and they want you to be pumped up. For, I, I'm, I'm a little more forgiving of what my, I don't think, I think you need to handle it appropriately. I think you need to do that to police it. Mm. Miles Garrett, by all accounts, has been like a decent guy off the field, mm. and I'm going to choose to continue to believe that. But I digress. Chuck Liddell, early UFC, now 50. He was an MMA fighter and champion. He's one of the pioneers of the sport. His nickname was Iceman. Mm. I thought that nickname was retired after George Gervin. Uh, anyway, AJ's watching him fight on TV. Drinking Barks root beer. What a delight. Hell yeah. Back in the day. I can still taste it, and it's been years. Great root beer. Do you prefer Barks or A&W? Oh, yeah, now you're getting into it. Yeah. Now you're, now you're messing with my emotions. Now you're uh, bringing up the Fuji's song, uh, <laughs> Killing Me Softly. I don't know. I, could, I would be happy with either one. Okay. It's not like Coke and Pepsi. It's Coke. So there's no Pepsi for me. Okay. But with Barks and A&W, I would be happy with both. What's your pick? A&W, but the Barks taste is a, is a nice... Uh, it's a distinguished taste. Distinguished it's a, taste. It's a little... It's like a top shelf yeah. taste. Blue Label root beer. Blue Label, there you go. It's got an ice cream pint. Root beer floats over here. Tony comes home with a pizza. Real good on the diet, these guys, right? Yeah. Uh, Tony B knocks. Uh, Tony Soprano looks out suspiciously. And then he implores AJ to go upstairs and study for an algebra test, which is literally every parent in America right now without the aid of teachers. Tony B's there to tell him Chris was at the Belleville Tavern all fucked up. Looked it up, couldn't find it. Tony with a rich line, where's his fucking self-control, this guy? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The writing. Yeah. Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess, by the way, were nominated for an Emmy for this episode. And you see why. It is just, it's like there's the story and then there's what you call the subtext. And it is so much subtext in this episode. Instead of studying... We all hear AJ playing drums. 
Again, same for every parent in America right now. Go to your room and do something productive, and they do the exact opposite. Tony doesn't seem worried about what Chris might do. He knows where to find me. Soundbite. Does Tony think Chris is too clumsy, loyal, or something else to hurt him? Why is Tony unafraid? Um... You fuck with the guy's girlfriend. Yeah. That guy's going to be raging. Why is he playing it so cool? He's always had all the power in the relationship. I don't see, like, I just don't see him becoming, yeah, I think maybe you're right. I think that maybe it's, well, you, you asked, but the, uh, I think maybe he's too bumbling, too incompetent to do it, right? Like. That's what I think. Yeah. I don't think he's loyal. I mean, he, he's, he's, he, he is loyal, but he says he's not. He's so lo- actions speak loud loyal, than words. Loyal to his capo. Tony brings AJ home a day early. He's clearly unhappy to be there, like when Lonzo got traded to New Orleans so the Lakers could get Anthony Davis. God, these references seem like prehistoric relics now, don't they? Yeah. I don't even really care that Anthony Davis is a Laker right now. Because I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get, to, probably never gonna get to see if they this this experiment works. The other thing, just to go sidebar on the NBA, like LeBron is competing against father time this was his season we were he we were getting such a great lebron season just look at and what he's forgotten it'll yeah. be if this continues the way it's going it'll be a forgotten season yeah unbelievable and that's devastating it's one of the it could be one of the last great lebron years we have anyway thank you for indulging that nba reference i think i have one or two more <laughs> bring them bring them carmella is cold with tony she's heard the rumors she self-manages Justin better than anyone, doesn't she? Yeah, I think so. She just keeps it in and she wears it close to the vest and she doesn't let anything fucking get to her. Starts drawing fruit bowls. <laughs> you know, fuck you, Tony. I'm not going to let you win. Kudos to Carmela. The hypocrisy notwithstanding. Just please leave. I love the way she delivers this blow. I didn't want to look at you. Tyson Fury over here. She drops the pizza like Fury dropped Wilder. Wow. And walks back to her corner. He storms out, but not before taking the pizza with him. This is the one correct thing that he did. You can't waste that (laughs) shit, man. No matter what anybody says. How cold is that pizza at this point, though? It's been all over town. He picked it up on the way to to Olivia's house. He brought it with him. With AJ, now he's bringing it back in the car. This pizza's been sitting there for like two hours. This pizza has been contaminated. This, yeah. Okay, (laughs) throw it out. Cut to Chris and his Hummer rolling frantically into the Bing parking lot. Gun in one hand, bottle in the other. Love the camera choice to approach on him as he walks toward it. Feeling of disorientation and urgency and unpredictability. He sees a maroon Suburban and throws the bottle at it. Was it Tony's? We talked about this before we started because I didn't want to sound like an idiot over here. Um, I think it was Tony's. I think it wasn't. Okay. But you think it is because you have a very good reason for thinking it is. Yeah, because his car was just totaled. totaled. And in my version of this, he, Tony still has the car. He mm. didn't sell the Suburban. Yeah. Right? He's just keeping it around. And now he has to drive it because his black Escalade just got totaled. Right. 
My, and that's totally logical. My thought is he got a ride from somebody. Paulie or Silvio drove him. That Suburban, I looked back at the frame a couple times, and the license plate was off too. I was, I went to go do that. I didn't have time. I meant to check the license plate. I didn't have time either, but it's not the same license plate. Okay. And if if it is, and if it is, someone will tell us, but. But I have a, but we can get to it after. I have a re, well, I, Paulie says something that we can get to that we can discuss for a second. Okay. But Paulie says something in the scene after this one that leads me to believe that it was Tony's car as well. You'll bring it up? I'll bring it up. Okay. He starts shooting at the Suburban, blowing out windows, tires. The guys are upstairs playing cards, saying Chris will never show. And then he storms in, freaks everybody out because he's holding a gun, starts shooting into the air and toward Tony. No bullets, though. Was he smart enough to unload his cartridge before going inside, or was that a coincidence? I don't think he planned it out, I think he, but he didn't go inside until he, he— I mean, he knew it was empty. I don't think he planned it out. I think he just started shooting. Okay. And then it was empty and he went inside. And I mean, Sometimes when you're drunk, like right before you hit the wall, you know that you can do something extremely stupid and you you use whatever's left of your sanity to eliminate risk. Okay. And I want to believe that he eliminated the risk. Okay. But anyway, that's me giving Christopher the benefit of the doubt when I don't know that he deserves it at this point. Sill on a megaphone. You know what to do down there. All the guys come down. This isn't going to end well. NFL sidebar, Ravens lineman Tony Siragusa restrains Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. He won his Super Bowl with the Ravens, right? Yes. Yeah. The Ray Lewis Ravens. The Ray Lewis Um, Ravens. But again, Sill on a megaphone. Do we have any witty banter to insert? I wrote here, insert witty banter (laughs) that I'm too tired to think up right now. But there has to be something we can say here about this. I was just going to keep saying, you know what to do down there again and again in the sill voice. Say it one more time. uh, I'm not going to mess it up. You put me on the spot. but (laughs) You know what to do down there. (laughs) It was great. Cut to a night shot. I love this night shot. This was, I remember watching this in 2004 when this first aired. And this was the absolute tensest moment. Of the show to this point for me. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Car pulls up. Meadowlands vibe. The high grass. What's that stuff called? I don't know. Ah, there's a name for it. I think of it as the New Jersey Western scenery backdrop. We had some in Rhode Island too, like in the southern part of the state. Godfather-esque, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Leave the gun. Take the cannolis. They put him down on the ground the drama of that shot. Tony drop kicks him in the sternum right above his xiphoid process. Ah, uh, yeah. Important to know. Denies it again, pulls his gun out, sticks it in his face, pulls back. Then Paulie, sensing the opportunity, mm. seizes it. Was this, um, so seizing the opportunity, do you think he was... You can, Paulie wants him gone. You see, you, I think you can read this either way. That was that's that's I think that's the correct reading. But there is a version where you can read this, where he's saying like, "Look, he he knew he didn't have any bullets. He knew he wasn't gonna he he knew he wasn't gonna be able to make a move on you." Like you can read him. You can actually read this if you strip away the tone of Paulie's voice. You can actually read what he said as a defense of Christopher. If you read it on the page, yes. yes. But the way he delivers it. He's egging Tony on. But this, but what Paulie says, this is, this is also what makes me think that that was Tony's car, the Suburban, because he says, 
Oh, you know, wh- wh- how does he, how does he say? He says, "Oh, he, he the way I see it, Tony, he must have known that he didn't have any uh, he didn't have any bullets left. Look at what he dumped into your car." He said, "Your car." Yeah, yeah, and I, the writers are too smart to make a a slip up like that, especially that we know that the final draft always lands on David's desk. Yeah, David Chase's desk. So yeah, okay, it's his car. It's his fucking car. Maybe he, <laughs> maybe he changed the plates for organized crime purposes, right? Yeah. Tony says, let this go, or this is as far as we go. The choice of that language is layered. Yeah. Chris can't. He's raging. Tony pulls on him again. And the way they sold it, you actually, like, they, they just, it makes you wonder how many takes they took because you you do believe that he's going to pull the trigger right then. And the beat is just long enough that you know what's going to happen. I remember at the time it was like, I was, I couldn't believe. Glued. Right. Glued. Then Tony B. Two Tonys. Two Tonys intervenes. Did we do two Tonys together? We did. Listen to somebody else for a change. He says, try it my way. This is the, this is the rational impulse control that Melfi was talking about. It's in the other Tony. Are you, oh, nice. Are you surprised that it played out like this? That he listened to Tony B? A massage parlor entrepreneur impresario? He respects Tony B. I think if Paulie had said that, I mean, Paulie wouldn't as we just found, as we just saw, but I think if Silvio said it, I don't think he would have done it. He respects Tony B. That's a profound statement. I think he respects him. I think he thinks he's, I think he looks at him and sees that he's smarter than everyone else around him. Cut to Chris in the backseat of a car, Tony and Tony B in the front. They see the good doctor from earlier in the episode and jump out to surround him. He's coming off a 17 hour shift. But the specter of gunshot wounds or broken kneecaps freshens him up like a daisy. Mm. Tony wants him to say nothing happened. Doc doesn't know how. Tony B chimes in, explains it isn't medically possible. Something about her clavicle, lateral anterior aspect, or the right mid sternum. Great soundbite. Are you a physician? No, I'm a pre-board certified massage therapist. The doctor's reaction is a thing of beauty. Yeah. Doc says Tony B's right, but then he adds in a thought about the xiphoid process for good measure. You know, he's pulling rank in establishing his bona fides. That, by the way, is the cartilage at the lower end of the sternum. Okay. Tony offers the doc money. He balks. And then he says it's for the kids. I, I, it's hilarious, but I also love these moments where, like, you come across people that aren't corrupted by this world in the, in the Sopranos. Like yeah. you come across these normal people who like are decent, you know, they want no part of this world. Right. So you're saying it's purely altruistic that he doesn't need this guy's money. Part of me, the cynical jaded, you know, guy who's been through life and been put through the ringer a few times. He's thinking, I don't want to be associated with you because then you own me. Yeah. Okay. He went to Johns Hopkins. He went after to Johns all. Hopkins. He's able to see all the permutations <laughs> at like internet fucking speed, right? <laughs> but yes, in general, he doesn't want the money, but there's a little bit of him given, and it's only revealed to us through his encounter with him in the beginning of the episode when he's a prick, when he's, when he's treating Tony like he's beneath him a little bit. That's what makes me think like, oh, wow, this guy could okay. hold me to something. Okay. 
Mr. Soriano was what he called him too. He had no idea who Tony Soprano Mr. was. Mr. Soriano. It's, it's funny because in New Jersey, Tony's basically like a mini celebrity, but cross over the state line into, into Delaware. No idea. Huh. Yeah. Oh, and this doctor was in Delaware. This doctor was in Delaware. Oh. Calls him Mr. Soriano when he comes when, when Right. He, yeah. Alfonso Soriano. Yeah. You think that was a, <laughs> you, you think that was an Alfonso Soriano reference? No, I, I didn't. I didn't even make that connection in the moment. But yes, yeah, quite possible. Whatever happened to Alfonso Soriano? We can look it up after. So it appears everything is good, but you two footed veto. That's got to be resolved. He was fucking laughing, which was wrong. But at this point now, it don't make no difference. That's the marching order? <laughs> that's, it's the, I can't believe that's the first thing he says after that. It's the writing again. Yeah, I know. Like, the, we're worried about a global pandemic right now, okay? But you gotta fix that you thing threw, with Vito. You threw food at Vito, that's gotta be resolved. Chris says none of this matters, though. And I agree with him at this point, right? Oh, absolutely. Even Perception. if it wasn't true, though. It's what people think. Perception. Perception is reality. Perception is reality. Tony says, what do you care what people think? Which I'm going to throw back at you, Justin. Do you think Tony cares what people think about him? Well, we just found out that he doesn't want to show people that he's weak with, with the cancer. So right off the bat, right in this episode, there was something where people caring what they think about him. Uh, if, if Tony had been cuckolded by anyone... Or the appearance of being cuckolded. How do you think he would have reacted? Do you think he would have handled this? Do you think he would have? No. So There would have been more bloodshed. There would have been a lot more bloodshed. Yeah. Yeah. He also last episode said, I'm not running a fucking popularity contest. No, oh, yeah. He did but say he, that. But he kind of is. He kind of wants to be loved. Kind of gotta. Who doesn't want to be loved? You kind of gotta. If, if in that position, enough people stop loving you, you're in big trouble. Chris says, I got to live in the world and now I look like Joe Jerkoff. Mm. Storms out of the car. What other people think made me think of Eckhart Tolle over here. <laughs> After a long beat on Tony, we cut to T in the therapy chair. It's my, one of my favorite scenes of the entire series. You know what? I might as well have fucked her. Thanks. Melfi has a very pleased look on her face. Self-satisfied. And Justin... Fair to say it's a notch shy of a shit-eating grin. Yeah, I think that's fair. I love this so much, and this is one of the reasons I love this episode. It's probably the shortest Melfi yes. Tony. It's seconds. Hands, seconds, right. And it's just like, it's f all for the, just that one line, and it's so perfect. And it just, it's, oh my God, I laugh about that line every time I think about it. Cut to Tony storming into the house, walks in to talk to Carmela. You think I would go near that girl like that? Thank you. Now, she knows he wouldn't, I believe. She believes him. Yeah. I think she does. And her face sells it. No words. But the public perception, I think, is what holds her back. The cat is already out of the bag. Not for nothing, but she looks stunning here. She, she's great. Edie Falco looked absolutely phenomenal in the last few seasons. Oh, I gotta bail you out? It is never-ending, your bullshit. This is one of the camera cuts that I was talking, one of the camera angles. Well, it, it, the way they shot it, 
it's I'm picturing it as you talk. Carmela looking up at him. And like there this isn't like a situation where somebody's sitting down, like right. some but it's definitely filmed where Tony is kind of towering over her. You know the camera is looking up when it's at Tony and looking down when it's at. But she's in control. I don't think so. You don't think so? I could no, I think his world of bullshit is just has suffocated her. Yes. And I think this is more about him his bullshit crowding her. Yes. March twenty twenty spin on the line, I got to bail you out, got me thinking about the fact that we're potentially going to be bailing out cruise liner companies. Airlines. Airlines, I somewhat understand, but cruise liner companies, that's wild. Let them go. Right? That's wild. Yeah. I mean, if, if we can get, I mean, I hope you don't have any listeners in the in the cruise line world. No, we're not knocking, we're not knocking any industries here, but like when you're organizing and you're prioritizing right now, are we really prioritizing cruise liner companies? Automobile manufacturers, there's a controversy about the bailout from 2008. I totally get it, but we need cars. You need cars. People don't have cars, they can't get to work. You need airlines to get around the country. You need airlines to conduct business, but this is a leisure activity. Right. Yeah. It's just wild to think that's actually on the table. Without getting too political, actually, fuck it. Why not? Who knows how many more podcasts are left in the world, right? (laughs) Do you think the election is going to be postponed? I think that if um, Trump doesn't think his numbers look good, he's going to try to postpone the election. Do you think that this is good for him or bad for him? I don't see how it can be good. His one thing he could always hang his hat on was the economy. And we are in a really bad place with the economy right now. Mm. Her facial expressions, Justin, her silence, her emotion through her eyes, simply stunning. Is there any actress that can do that better than her? I haven't watched her recent stuff. I've only really watched her in The Sopranos. I, I fully admit that. Yeah. But, I mean... Masterclass. He looks down at the ground. Shoegazer over here. Mm. Emo Tony, Justin. It's great. Just like uh, Michael Sarah and Arrested Development over here. May as well start playing uh, the Vincent Giraldi. <laughs> Vincent Giraldi. <laughs> oh, I love it. Cut to Tony. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Cut to Adriana running out of Rossmore RX. Beautiful shot. Wondered if it was a real place. I think Rossmore was CGI'd on. Okay. It's especially bright and resplendent. She gets into San Severino's car, and this is the first time San Severino looks sympathetic or caring toward her. Actually, she kind of did when they were at the Panera, and she was talking about her working for the good guys. Actually, you were in that episode with me, Two Tonys, when they're yeah. like, we're the good guys. Um, but she's treating Adriana like she's kind of a human as opposed to like a, a fed bot. She wants to put a listening device in her business. She's asking for permission, which I thought was curious. She doesn't really have to ask for permission. She could get a court order, but permission makes it easier and faster, which is true. The faster we get Tony and put him away, the sooner you can get on with your life. This is key. This is what it's all about. Aid has to turn coat on just Tony. They just want Tony which is a powerful line by Robin, sort of 
you know, writers always talk about show, don't tell. Right. They're showing us here, but they're doing it in the context of letting us know the stakes right now. Right. We're getting close to, to quote little Carmine, the precipice of an enormous crossroads. Aid says, hell no. Robin says it's a syndrome protecting abusers. She's referring to the Stockholm syndrome of abusive relationships. Then A drops a bomb, mm. right? If it would have been Christopher alone in a car with a woman, I would have killed him. Great moment for Adriana. I think, you know, Adriana spends so much of this series being shit on and being people's, being manipulated by people and being taken advantage by people and being abused. And I think that you know, in some level that she's, she's somewhat delusional, of course, like she loves Christopher to, yeah. to the end of time. If the, she probably would not have reacted like that. Right. And also like, she's, I, I don't know. Um, I think that this was one of her more powerfully delivered lines in a way that kind of took some power back for the character. Mm. Um, for sure. Despite appearances, she appears strangely in control. And that's another powerful piece of writing. Right. Looking at her, like, visually, she's weakened, but that line gets her up off the mat. Right. And she's ready to go back in for round three, or whatever round she's in. Cut to Vesuvio's, the grand entry of Tony, Carm, Aiden, Chris, the music that's playing, I think it's the music from the pilot episode. It, 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 so yeah, it, it was. It was the it was the exact aria that was playing at the moment Tony had his first panic attack looking at the ducks. What do you think that means? Well, I don't think that actually means anything by itself. I think that, that just happens to be a happy coincidence. However, turns out this is the music... Okay, this is directly reading from Wikipedia, so I don't know if... I, so I have to cite that. The music that plays during the final restaurant scene is the aria... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher my pronunciation, but... Ciel Bel Sono di Doretta from La Rondine, an opera by Giacomo Puccini, sung by... I'm not even going to pronounce his name. Um, it was the same aria that was used in the pilot episode when Tony got his first panic attack at the moment the ducks left the pool. The song describes a woman who rejects a king as a suitor in favor of a student. In favor of a student. Christopher. So in this exact moment... So this is... The, the layers of using this song are wild because... Might not align perfectly because she may have only rejected Tony because of a really bad car accident and because of Joey Peeps and Phil, Phil, Phil Leotardo knocking on the door. However, thematically, this is about as close of a song as you could possibly imagine for this scene where she's walking in with Tony, the king she rejected, to be with the student, her fiancé, Christopher. So this is a song for Adriana. Yes. Then. Wow. Vito comes over and ends his beef with Chris. Big of him. Pun intended. Mm -hmm. What about Tony B, though? No love for the masseuse now. <laughs> and we fade to black. As we fade to black, though, the, the, the camera shows Tony and Carmela on equal ground tony looks at her yes and i think that he's checking her he's i don't i don't know if, to me i kind of viewed that as like he's looking at her like 
I think he kind of like respected her for this moment. I think he like kind of. For being a dutiful wife. For, yeah. And I think, yeah. Oh, I, I'm going to piggyback on what you just said. Yeah. This whole episode, he's been flirting with the idea of Adriana. Ah. But in this moment, ah. in this moment, he realizes that nobody could do it better yeah. than Carmela. And I think- And they're know, not back together yet. They're not back together. But this is a trigger point for him. Yes, and I think that will play out over the next couple episodes. Did we miss anything? No, I think that this episode, I mean, it's really hilarious. The game of telephone is phenomenal. The With guys, by the way. With guys. That's part of the funny is normally telephone is cliched or, or you know, it's, it's sort of sexist to say that it's like a, it's like a thing that women do. But we, they flip it on its head here. What are these guys, if not a bunch of like catty, catty people sitting around there playing poker? Sitting outside Satrials. Yeah, they got got nothing better to do. But um, it's, it's just, it's such a funny episode. I think the relationship stuff between Christopher and Adriana is so dark too. I think there's a real contrast there. Um, But it's funny because in some ways this is as bodily as Sopranos episodes come in some ways, right? Because... The Adriana Tony stuff is never direct. It, it never comes up. I feel like I feel okay in saying that. Is that okay to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't come up again as a as a major plot point. This episode, in many ways, is a standalone episode. Exactly, and I think that might be part of the reason why it got so many Emmy nominations because it works as a standalone episode. Um, is that what Emmy voters like? I think that, like, I don't know, I mean... It's a testament to strong writing if you can make something exist in a vacuum. Also, it's easier to get into something if you don't have to have watched the 60 hours that came before it. That's true. Uh, um, Well, shame on those people that wouldn't want to watch 60 hours to get to that point. I know, but... (laughs) um, But while I think this is very much a standalone episode, it does have some key ripple effects throughout the rest of the series. For and, sure. And I, I don't want to say what those are because you know, yeah. some people are watching for the first time, but there are some very important things that come from this episode, even if the direct thing, the direct A plot in this episode is not referenced again. You know, um, I'm going to end on the title, Irregular Around the Margins. Thought about it a lot. A lot of people have written about that, contemplated it. And I'm sure that my thought is a combination or like an amalgamation of like many thoughts that came before. But to me, it's David Chase saying, like, don't just look at, don't just look at what's in the middle of the screen. Look around in all the corners. Interesting. There's, there's stuff there. And I take that to what he has said about the ending. It's all there. Everything I've done for the show, as far as questions that I've answered or various positions or instances or uh, notions, it's all there. Don't ask me anymore. It's all there. If you really believe that and you extend it through, irregular around the margins is a reminder because we're coming towards the end of the show at this point. Mm-hmm. We didn't know if there was going to be a season six, but it's like, I don't. I actually know for a fact, Trey Winter has said that season five it was we were done you know that was it and we had to like all the internal politics of getting a season six out so it's a timely name for an episode that potentially is coming to the end of the road but it's a reminder to look back at all the stuff that we've done there's a lot in there that's more than just tony or more than just a couple few of these characters and i think that's pretty beautiful 
And that's why we do, that's why we talk about the episode for three hours. Yeah. It's, we out, talk, of, we, it's out of respect. Yeah. And we got Tom Brady in, who's a goat. So we talked about a goat on a goat show. Yeah. So why not? Yeah. And we and who else did we talk about? What other goat things did we talk about? Talk about Jordan. Jordan on the Wizards. Jordan on the Wizards. LeBron. Goats. LeBron. LeBron. Just, just, just the goats. Yeah. Goats, goats, goats. What is not a goat is what we are about to leave this studio and go back to. I wish you the best on this journey. Yeah. Um, I hope to see you on the other side of it very soon. I hope next time I see you, I can shake your hand. I hope next time, yes, we'll, we'll make sure and hug. Um, I think we'll be hugging a lot of people very soon when this is all over. Um, and if this is not over before the pandemic come back and do one more with me i i had uh i had one more i wanted to do and it's so far in advance that i hope the pandemic's over okay perfect yeah so i will see you then best of luck to you buddy stay well be well thanks man thanks for having me